It is my prayer that all of us will be able to say, uh, here we stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Our will, our desires, our plans, our dreams abandoned at the feet of Jesus for what he wants for our lives and for this moment as we worship him. If I were to ask you this morning, have you had any brokenness in your family? The chances are high that most of us have had at one point or another or are presently going through some season of brokenness, some season of suffering. If you're not in that season, maybe you're just coming out of it or maybe you're going into it. I pray that's not the case. But family brokenness is something that we all unfortunately can relate to in one way or another. And we've actually started a series over the last few weeks entitled My Messed Up Family. And if you're sitting there this morning and you think, well, that's probably about other families. My family never been messed up. We're great. Uh, We all get along so well and there's just no brokenness in our family. I think that we are deceiving ourselves um, if that's what we believe. And yet we go through things in this life the trials, the burdens that we bear. And so many times we struggle to make sense of it all. In the story of Joseph, we see brokenness. We see interpersonal relationship conflict with his brothers. And yet we also see character and godliness. And we see the sustaining hand of God guiding his people even through their darkest valleys. So that's where we're headed this morning. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I invite you to pray right where you're sitting with me, that God will speak to us for his honor and his glory. Will you pray with me? Or as we come to this opportunity to stand behind the sacred desk that you've appointed for the proclamation of your word. We are in a desert land and there's famine and brokenness, and our souls are hungry. We need a word from heaven, not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name be the glory forever. Lord, I pray that you will bring your word alive in a way that only you can today. Submit my intentions and my dreams for this message and lay them down at your feet. Pray that you Help us to hear from you, to be changed forever. And as we read about what happened to Joseph and his brothers, help us to see ourselves honestly in the text, but also to see how the gospel actually shapes all of life in light of our brokenness. You're working. We praise you. We ask you, Lord, for clarity and attentive hearts and minds today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 50, we'll begin reading in verse 15. Genesis chapter 50, begin reading with me in verse 15. So we read, keep in mind that Jacob, Joseph's father, has died. So there's grief that has brought out some uncomfortable things uh, with the family. Read with me in verse 15, the word of the Lord says, When Joseph's brothers had saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. 
So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who also brought up Joseph's niece. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. We'll focus this morning on verses 15 to 21. It's important to note from verses 22 to 26 that there is an important promise that we can all hold on to. God will surely visit you. In the moment of your brokenness, in your darkest despair, in the deepest night where there doesn't seem to be any light, there is a lighthouse shining on the shore. God will visit you. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. He has visited earth in flesh, and he will return one day to judge the living and the dead. And that is a promise that we can all bank our lives on. So today, family brokenness and God's purpose. Family brokenness and God's purpose. Genesis 50 describes a series of events that Joseph had experienced. You'll recall that Joseph was one of Jacob's sons. You remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob actually gets renamed Israel, which becomes the name of the people of God in the Old Testament. And we often think of Israel today as we think of a geographic territory, but Scripture refers to Israel as the people of God. They're renamed after Joseph's father. Just a little historical background there. So Joseph, when he was a boy, you will recall, he has this dream. And you all remember the story, if you've been in church for any amount of time, or maybe you've just been in an encounter because your grandmother was in church. Joseph had some brothers, and God gave Joseph a dream that one day he would actually rule over them. Can you imagine how this conversation must have went one day when he was little? Maybe they were fishing, or maybe they were playing outside, or maybe they were riding their bicycles, you know, maybe, I don't know. I'm creative imagination, whatever these boys were doing. And then his brother begins to say, God gave me a dream that one day you guys are all going to serve under me. Now, how would you feel if you were one of the brothers? Come on now, let's be honest with ourselves. You probably wouldn't think, man, that's amazing. I want you to win and me to lose. I want you to be on top all the days of my life. No. In fact, what actually begins to happen is there is a bitterness 
that takes root in his brother's lives. And there's a contrast between how Joseph is and how his brothers are, even to this moment where we read in Genesis 50. So all of these things have happened. And yet God is still working. I want to give you some scriptures. We're not going to turn to these passages. If you're taking notes, I want to give you some verses that tell you about Joseph's life. And here's why. It's a much more challenging to understand Old Testament narrative and apply it to our lives than it is the New Testament. The New Testament gives us a lot of imperatives. Do this, don't do that. It's, we think, pretty simple, even though we don't do that either. We need God's grace. <laughs> but the Old Testament's a little bit more challenging. So why, why Genesis 50 in the middle of the series on the family? I think in the story that we see in Genesis 50, one of the greatest truths that we see is that God works through family brokenness to accomplish His will for our lives. God works through family brokenness to accomplish His will. So here are those scriptures about Joseph. In Genesis 30, Genesis 30, verses 23 and 24, we read about Joseph's birth. We begin to learn about how Jacob viewed his son in Genesis 37. He was the favorite child. And moms and dads in the room, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites. And yet it happens, right? And the text of God's word in Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4 tells us that Joseph was the favorite child. Imagine how his brothers felt about that. So then we have his costly dream and his prophecy, Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11. So far we've had Genesis 30, 23 and 24. Genesis 37, 3 and 4. There's a lot of scriptures, and that's why we're not turning to them. Genesis 37, 5 to 11. And then that famous passage where he's sold into slavery, chapter 37 and verse 12 through 36. We continue reading the story in in Genesis. We get to chapter 39 where Joseph is now in Potiphar's house, and he's serving as a slave in Genesis 39. He's serving as a servant. And Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph into sin, but he flees from sin, which actually gives us an example to follow. When sin comes knocking at our door, we ought to be the kind of people who recognize that sin lies at the door, but its desire is for you, and you must master it, reminded of the Cain and Abel story. So the costly dream Genesis 37, sold by his brothers, the end of 37. He's in Potiphar's house, chapter 39. Joseph's in prison, end of 39. He begins to interpret dreams, chapter 40 and 41. He becomes a leader over the people, chapter 41, verse 37. And we continue on and on. What happens until we get to this moment? So the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. He grows up. He ends up getting a position of power in Pharaoh's house. And then there becomes a famine in the land where his brothers lived. And they go to Egypt to get provision. They couldn't just drive to Meijer or Walmart. They had to go to a whole different city to get their basic needs met. Joseph is in a position to where he is allocating resources in the kingdom. Very important to think about that. Allocating resources in the kingdom. So his brothers come to him. They're starving. They want something to eat. So he tests them, even though they don't know who he is yet. Genesis 44 is that reference. And this is how Joseph tested his brothers, because here's the thing. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. 
Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. I think Joseph forgave his brothers a long time before this passage, but he still didn't trust them, which is why we see him testing them. He gives a golden cup to them to see, are they going to be honest about that? And that's in um, chapter 44, verses 1 to 17. Why did he do that? We can grant forgiveness and the power of Christ through his spirit, but that doesn't mean that we overlook what happened to us. That doesn't mean that we pretend like everything's great and there was never any problem. So many Christians do that. And I want to invite you to fight against that. If there's a thing in your life, in your family, if there's an interpersonal relationship conflict, what you're going to feel like you want to do that's most comfortable is just never talk about it and pretend like everything's great and amazing. That's not what Joseph does. Joseph confronts his brothers even though they don't realize who he is until chapter 45. Then he reveals himself to them. And our story picks up, Jacob dies, and then our story picks up in chapter 50. Why have I shared all these verses with you? We need to see the whole picture of who Joseph is. If the Holy Spirit gave us this many chapters and verses about one person in the Bible, there's something we should pay attention to. God is trying to get our attention through this passage. So the passage in context. Joseph's brothers had come to Egypt to buy bread. He recognized Uh, His brothers, but eventually he reveals himself, even though he kept his identity hidden at a time. So they come back trying to get in Joseph's good graces. Genesis ends with the story of Joseph and sets the stage for the exile into Egypt, which will lead to Moses and the deliverance, which will serve as an archetype for how Jesus actually rescues us from the bondage of sin. And the metaphors will pick up from there throughout the Bible. And really, there's this messianic expectation that begins to increase. It accelerates as we move through the scriptures. So here's our take-home truth this morning. God works through family brokenness or any kind of brokenness to accomplish something greater. God works through brokenness to accomplish something greater. Our family brokenness, no doubt it shapes who we are, but it doesn't have to define who we are. I want to share with you three insights before we apply Genesis 50 to our lives. Three insights from Joseph's life that we need to reflect on. Number one, hard times reveal our true character. Verse 15, hard times reveal our true character. We can pretend all day long that we are this way and not that way, but when the, t- when the going gets tough, that's when we recognize what really it is inside of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we look in the mirror and we, we don't really see someone who is always having the character that God would desire. It's one of the things that I love so much about the, the way the Spirit works is He convicts us of sin, He convinces us of, of righteousness, but hard times reveal who we truly are. Notice the character of his brothers here. Joseph forgave his brothers a long time ago. They saw that their father was dead. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. What a great thought to think of your brother, right? It's like they had the worst possible thought of Joseph because they had years and years and years of bitterness and enmity and unforgiveness in their hearts. Their character is revealed. And we see that as we continue reading in their deception They're afraid for their lives. And that leads me to the second insight. And I want to dig a little deeper, but I want to give you these three insights from the front end. Number one, 
unchecked, unchecked bad or unhealthy relationships create problems. Or unhealthy interpersonal relationships result in negative effects on, on interpersonal relationships. Verses 16 and 18. These, bro- these brothers send messengers. They're not brave enough to, to, to go and speak to him themselves. Even after he provided for them food, remember, they were starving. They had no food. He gave them food. And they don't approach him. It's like when a, when a kid does something wrong. The first thing they want to do is hide. We've all been kids at one point in our life, right? I think it's hilarious how little kids try to hide. Like under the table where you can see them. Like, I could still see you, but they don't want to come out because they know what they did was wrong. We do the same thing with God. We do the same thing. We try to hide from Him, and yet the word of the Lord says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? You can't escape God. You can't escape His presence. But His brothers, they're not man enough to use that phrase. Not a great phrase. They are not bold and courageous enough in Christ, in God. Their faith is not strong enough to where they can go and confront this issue head on. So hard times reveal our true character, number one. Number two, um, separation is resulting from unresolved tension. Separation results from unresolved tension. So they say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the sins of your brothers um, and all the evil that you did. So actually skip back to verse at the end of 16. They sent messengers saying, before your father died, he commanded. What did they do here? They lied. Dad told us that you should forgive us. We don't read any account of Jacob saying that anywhere. God's still at work, though. And then they give this message to Joseph. Please forgive the sins of your servants, of the God of your father. It seems to me that if his brothers were truly serving the God of Joseph, maybe they would have had a different outlook on how they treated him. But they identify with Joseph's God as a way of trying to get in good terms and good graces with them. And then eventually the brothers come, they fall before his face, and they, they say, Behold, we are your servants. Just imagine the irony that there is such a change from that passage to when he first had the dream, right? Unresolved tension causes separation. That was true for Joseph and his brothers, and that's still true for you and me. And it's not super easy or super comfortable for us to deal with things that make us sad, or things that make us hurt, even in the body of Christ. Do you know how many problems happen in the church of the living God because we hurt each other's feelings? We all do it. We all hurt each other's feelings, not on purpose, even as redeemed people, and yet we let a thing grow in our heart because that's what the devil wants. We let that bitterness begin to spring up in our hearts, and before you know it, we'll use, we'll use pastor for an illustration. People get their feelings hurt. Pastor Daniel didn't even speak to me this week, which he's out of town Sunday, this today. He didn't even, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Eric, none of them even talked to me today. And then you just get sad and sulky about it. And then before you know it, time goes on and on and you start feeling yourself angry. You never even talked to me. You don't love me. <laughs> Meanwhile, the person who did that or who unintentionally didn't speak to you 
has no idea, and you're going around harboring bitterness, allowing the devil to gain a foothold in your life. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that is one thing the enemy, he tries to do two things, three things that really result in destruction. One, destroy the family. Two, get us to believe lies. And three, the enemy loves it when the people of God get so fixed on their hurt and their right to get angry and division begins to come into the body of Christ. Not the case of any of you, I'm sure. But unchecked tension causes brokenness and it creates more problems. If there's a tension in your life that you need to have sorted out, I invite you to pray about that and talk to the person that you need to talk to. Gossiping to other people is a very dangerous sin. We've all been guilty of it, men and women alike. This is not a gender-specific sin. But even in my own life, there's been situations that were not really that big a deal in hindsight. And I let them sit on my heart. Do you know that actually impacts your health? Not just your spirituality, but it will actually act like a cancer in your body and begin to fight against you. There's a book out called The Body Keeps the Score, and it's it's written from the perspective of medicine and psychology about how the body actually tracks all that that you keep in your heart. Now there is some time to talk about what forgiveness is and what it's not. And we'll, we'll talk about some of that later in the application section. But what I want to invite you to do under the authority of God's word is ask this question of yourself. Are you acting like Joseph's brothers? Having this unresolved stuff in your heart, it's just cancer. And the Lord Jesus wants to root that mess out in our lives. And it's not going to go out easily. And it's not going to go without pain. And growing in Christ as a Christian is not easy. It's not just we start following Christ and all our problems go away. Sometimes we follow Jesus and life gets hard. But as we put to death the old man and allow the new man to rule in our hearts and minds, hopefully our character will become more like Jesus than Joseph's brothers. Notice with me the third truth from this passage from verses 19 and 21. Joseph exemplified godly character even in the midst of his brokenness. So three truths. Number one, hard times reveal who we really are. Number two, unresolved tension creates problems, interpersonal relationships. And number three, Joseph exemplifies godly character even amid his brokenness. Notice how he responds to his brothers in verses 19 through 21. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Every time we hold on to that thing or that issue, we make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner when we say what that person did to me is wrong and I want to get even with them. Even born-again people feel this way sometimes. God help us. Am I in the place of God? None of us are. You know, you hear people jokingly say things, especially about people that have wronged them or hurt them. People will curse and say, well, you can just go to, I'm not going to finish the sentence. You're invoking the wrath of God on another image bearer who is created for a purpose, designed by their maker, and who Jesus Christ died for. So for us to say things like that, this person can just go to, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. But Joseph doesn't do that. He says, am I in the place of God? 
But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about this day to save many people alive. How many thousands of Egyptians and Israelites would have died if Joseph had not been faithful to what God had appointed for him as a leader. These three insights invite us to reflect on our own lives and the brokenness in our families. We need to make it a priority to reflect on these things, but it's not simply enough to just think about it. We need to live out these truths, and yet we can't do that apart from Christ. So, how does this story in Genesis 50 relate to the good news that Jesus Christ took on himself our sins, was buried, crucified, risen again, and will return to judge the living and the dead. How does this passage even relate to us today in 2023? Number one, apart from the saving work of Jesus, we're just like Joseph's brothers. We like to think of ourselves as Joseph in this story, but I don't think that's the case. Sometimes. Don't undermine your character, your position, your, your growth, your sanctification, through the Spirit of God. Don't undermine your journey of faith. But apart from the saving work of Jesus, we're all just like Joseph's brothers. May God help us to have a humble spirit where we recognize that and repent from it. Number two, genuine forgiveness is possible only through the gospel of Christ. There is no forgiveness apart from Jesus. You don't just pronounce forgiveness. Only Jesus can bring about real forgiveness. One writer said this, If you follow me on Facebook, you've already seen this quote this week, but I want you to think about what this writer of a commentary said. Only a deep sense of gratitude for the wonder of our own experience of forgiveness in Christ and the provision that He has made for others to be forgiven can break down the barriers we put between ourselves and others, both those who have wronged us and those we have wronged. Now, we could have a whole separate sermon on forgiveness. Maybe we should do that sometime in the near future of our family here. What it is, what it's not, all the implications and so on. But the most important truth about forgiveness this morning is this. If we're harboring bitterness and resentment toward other people, no matter what they did to us, we need to repent this morning. Even in the context of Bible-believing people who love Jesus, who were washed by His blood and called by His Spirit, There can be sin. There was recently a situation where I needed to talk to Pastor Daniel about a thing. And I just let it, it was not even a a big deal, really. But I never went and talked to him because I just believed the lies. Like, oh, he's busy, or this is not that big a deal, or just you're being selfish, Dustin. Like, not a big deal. And then I went and talked with him about it. And he invited me, like, just talk to me if there's a thing. And God worked mightily. I don't share that with you for any reason except to say this. If you think that your pastors have it all together, think again. We want to submit to Christ. We want to be changed. We want to be different. We want to love you. We want to, we want to be the, the best kind of leaders in your life that God has placed in your life that we can possibly be. But we sin against each other. And I I thank God for the humility and the godly example of our pastor who is leading all of us, not just myself, Pastor Eric, myself, and Isaac, weekly to do these kinds of hard things. Because the reality of it is, if we don't let the gospel work out in our lives, how are we supposed to lead you? 
but we fool ourselves if we try to make everything seem always amazing because it's not that. If you're harboring something in your heart today, I want to invite you to process that. Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what people have done. There are people in my life, in my family, who I do not have a speaking relationship with these people because it honestly ends up hurting me if I try to engage with these people. Well, that's not very Christ-like of you, Dustin. In relationships, there's a two-way street. As Christians, we love people even when they don't even make us a priority. We, we forgive people because Christ has forgiven us, but that don't mean we're inviting them over for dinner. Maybe one day God in His goodness will allow us to have reconciliation this side of heaven. But I get so frustrated in the church when we hear sermons about forgiveness and things like this that, that undermine the real pain that you went through. And people just want you to hurry up and get over it and pretend like everything's great and there's no problems. That's not how this works. Bob works with, with inmates and helps them see the light of Christ. Forgiveness doesn't mean they're still not going to have to serve their time. It doesn't mean that they're going to have trust in the same privileges, but they can be new in Christ. Why do I share this with you? Because there are so many in our church family that have had family, brokenness, and heartache. And when you hear sermons like this, it makes you feel like it's all on you for this broken relationship. But that's not the case. You can be Christ-like. You can be godly. You can be loving and forgiving. You shouldn't harbor that thing against that person. I'll illustrate it this way. I wasn't going to, but I'll illustrate it this way. I don't have a relationship with my biological mother. And that's not because I've not tried. But every time that I've tried to be in her life, she never makes me feel like a priority. So I don't talk to her regularly because she doesn't make me feel loved, wanted, valued, like I matter. And it's not always, there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of adults, young adults in our congregation who've experienced something very similar to me where you grew up in a broken home and people have told you all your life that it's all on you to fix the problem. If you're a Christian, you need to lay that at the feet of Jesus and not let that dominate your life anymore. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, by the power of the authority of the Word of God, it's not about you fixing other people, but it's about your character and your life and your submission to Christ. If the Spirit of God's telling you you need to do something about this thing that happened in your family, then you need to do something. But you've got to realize there's some things that are in your power to change, and there's some things that are not in your power to change. And our prayer is that reconciliation will happen and be realized, even though we realize it won't fully be realized until Jesus comes back and all the wrongs are made right. This is not easy for us to receive. What I'm trying to drive home right now is this. Forgiving people, Joseph forgave his brothers, but he sure didn't forget what they did to him. They left him for dead in a ditch and they sold him to some strangers into slavery. How are you just supposed to get over that? He forgives them. He begins to speak kindly to them. He begins to really kind of be a, a, a manager or a steward over his brother's lives, even though they had hurt him so much. But he sure didn't ignore it, because if he did, then why do we have the story about the cup and all those things that Joseph placed in their bag to try to see if they'd be honest? Think about it, church. 
you've bottled up anger and hurt, we have to forgive as Christ forgave us, no matter how challenging that may feel in the moment. There's a third gospel principle here. One, apart from the saving work of Jesus, we're all just like Joseph's brothers. Number two, forgiveness is possible only through the gospel. And number three, it reminds us, the gospel reminds us that Jesus is king and we're not. We cannot put ourselves in the place of God and be judge, jury, and executioner. We need to learn from Joseph's question, am I in the place of God? We're not. We're all just people. And life's too short to allow the past, to allow your pain, to allow your moment of brokenness to define you for all eternity. Because God wants to take that brokenness and use it. What Satan is using in your life right now, whether it's addiction or relationships or brokenness, what Satan is using against you, Jesus is wanting to turn that for his good. You say, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do things happen to people who love Jesus, get diagnosed with cancer? Why do people who love Jesus suffer financially? Why do kids go without a loving mommy and daddy at home? Those are some hard questions that I don't have all the answers to, but I can tell you this. God allows a whole lot that He doesn't cause. And maybe right now you feel like you're in the refiner's fire and the heat is intense. Can I just remind you there is a fourth person in the fire with you, just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fourth person walking around in the fire with you in this moment of suffering is Jesus and He won't leave you or forsake you. What are some ways that we can apply this to our hearts today? I want you to apply this personally to you based on three reflection questions. Then we'll wrap up and we'll be finished this morning. Reflection question number one. What aspects of your family brokenness are you avoiding processing in a healthy way? Is there any aspect of your family or your brokenness or your pain that Maybe you've been coping with it in an unhealthy way. Number two, how might God be using your present circumstances to accomplish something greater in you? How might God be using the trials you're going through to help you be more like Jesus? Number three, is there inner interpersonal conflict in your life right now that you are avoiding processing? What's well, one step that you can take this week? Reachable, obtainable step. Not an overwhelming, if you're like me, and I realize something in my life that I need to change, I want to do all the things at one time. And that's overwhelming. What's one step that you can take this week to allow God to begin to work in your life and your family in a fresh way? What's one step? God works through our family brokenness and any kind of brokenness to accomplish His will for our lives. God allows us to go through things He doesn't cause. And when we face trials and brokenness and pain and agony and sorrow, we can hold on to the promise of God like the one that we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, those he glorified. All things work together for the good of God's people and his glory. You've probably got that verse on a coffee mug or a piece of artwork in your bathroom at your house, but the promises of God are not meant to just be 
move to decoration and interior design. That's fine if you have a coffee mug that has this verse on it, by the way. But this promise is meant to carry us through brokenness, even through family brokenness. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, there's nothing that's too broken that Jesus can't fix, even you, even me, even your family and mine. Will you pray with me this morning?